Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to several places this morning, so just be ready to kind of move along, move around with us. But when we were on in our staff meeting, what's happening? That I, Oh, children need to be dismissed. Yeah, y'all go ahead. Thank you. Some of the parents saying, please, please, please announce this. You see, I'm an old man. I like the kids in here. But don't go back. This is not a revolution, and we're not going to destroy the children's ministry. <laughs> and as we were discussing the participants, how we would participate in the men's retreat and what each one of us would do, it looked at least at first that I would do the last session, which would be this morning. And I think one of the reasons is that's the session that talks about the victory. And I'm just more bold and loud than the other guys. That's neither right or wrong. That's just who, whom God has ble- who God has blessed me to be. You may not see it's a blessing, but I love it. And as we discuss this a little more, a decision was made. No, let's do it this way. We'll send Peter back because we need to have mercy on the men and get on the... No. And Evan will preach. Now, let me say this about that young guy. This is a young, powerful minister of God. Amen. Amen. Yes, you may clap. When I'm up here, if you want to yell, scream, clap, be free. So he's preaching this morning. Be praying for him. In fact, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you anoint him as you anointed your great men of God, prophets and men, that you would anoint him in a way that the Holy Spirit would use him astoundingly in Jesus' name. And so the decision was, I'm coming back. I'm pleased to come back, but what I'm getting at is this. When that decision was made, when I was told I'm coming back, (laughs) immediately the Lord put a verse of Scripture in my mind for you, mostly for the women, I don't know what you guys are doing here today, but okay, mostly for the women. And that isn't to say, because the burden of the content will be for the ladies, that it's not for the men to listen to or to receive benefit. It certainly is. Anytime the message is about either a particular area or aspect of ministry that may not specifically and personally involve you, at least as far as you are understanding, we're missing the totality and the comprehensiveness of what God does in the church. So this is for all of us, even though it's more directed toward the ladies. Are we on that machine yet? Are we on tape yet? Yeah, we're on. We're good. Going. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I believe the reason for this word is this. And, you know, it may not seem this way in the beginning, but hopefully it will. And if it doesn't, hang on. I believe the Lord wants to do at least two things, many more, but at least two things. 
I believe he wants to refresh and encourage you ladies as to your design or your role, your function in the church of Jesus Christ. So as I said, the subject is relevant really for both the men and the women so that together we all have a clearer understanding of how God's purpose is to be walked out in the church. So why is this so significant that a sermon would be directed toward, quote, one group more than the other? doesn't mean that the other group is less significant. It just means that the emphasis this morning is for the role of the ladies. Why is it so significant? Well, let's go back to that statement of God that declares the significance of everything about our lives. Everything and anything about your life and about my life in Christ. Every issue, every question, every decision, everything. The answer is to be found in one verse. Now, those of you who know me will know what that verse is. How many of you know what that verse is? What is it, Nettie? Genesis 1, 26. Everything about my purpose, about God's purpose, about my place, about God's work, about who I am and what I'm to be and who you are and how we're to function together. And, and what, everything is contained in that one verse. You see, God has made it simple for us because most of us are pretty simple-minded people. There are a few that aren't, but here we are. And I'm glad of that. And what does 126 say? God has been moving for 25 verses. God said, God said, God said, and he's creating day after day until we get to the end of verse 25. And God has created now the animals, etc. And we're in the sixth day. And then all of a sudden, everything changes and the emphasis changes. Because God said, let there be animals, let there be this, let there be that. And they were, they were, and you remember that. And then suddenly in verse 26, what does it say? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There is the statement of God's purpose for us. You want to know who you are in Christ and why you are in Christ and how are you to function in Christ and how we as a church corporately or to function in Christ? This is how. This is the purpose. That we, the people of God, would be the living, walking, breathing, fellowshipping, relation, relating people who correctly and clearly and compellingly reflect who God is and how he is. We are the image of God upon the earth. 
if people are looking for the revelation of the, if there is a God and who is this God and what does this God look like, you can look at the stars and see something about him. But if you really want to know who God is, where do you have to look? You have to look at other believers. They have to look at the church. Can you say amen? This is profound, not because I said it, but because this is the work of God. And this is who we are. We are the most significant issues or people or created beings in all eternity. Why? Because God has established it to be so. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And what is essentially and that image that God is desiring to relate. What is it that quintessential revelation that God is not trying? You know, people say God is trying. God never tries nothing. I know the next time someone says try, ooh. But let's, let's face it. God has never tried anything. God does. And what is that quintessential revelation? <clears throat> it's this. That we, in the way we come together in our roles and fellowship, that we in this community of believers are saying to the world and the universe emphatically that our God is a triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that our God, three distinct and divine persons, are living and functioning and relating such through love that God is said in Deuteronomy 6-4, the great Shema, Hero Israel, Ah, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The demonstration of that unity of the three persons of God. That's the issue of God's glory that he is displaying through us. So how does he do it? In 126, he says, let us create man in our image. In Genesis 2-7, you may turn to that, he begins to create. And so 2-7 and 8 of Genesis 2, then the Lord God, Yahweh God, the word Lord there is the word for Yahweh. <clears throat> then Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul or creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God creates this being. The Hebrew is Adam, where we get the name Adam. Man in that context, in that verse, is Adam. That's where we get the name Adam. He created Adam, a man, Adam. So here we have a man. Okay. God is moving toward the fulfillment of his purpose. But then let's 
it's, it's, it's good, you see, it's good. Remember in verse 30 of the previous, it's very good. But something is happening here. Look at verse 218. Now, just don't look at all the verse, just look at the first few parts of it. Verse 18, then Yahweh God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. What's wrong? That the man be alone. He didn't say lonely, as some people like to tell us. That's not lonely. It's alone. In other words, this man is by himself with all these animals. There's nobody else like him. And the Lord said, it's not good. Why isn't it good? Well, the answer to why it isn't good, you have to go back to Genesis 1, 26. Don't theorize. Don't philosophize. Don't do any eyes. Look at the word. Why is it not good for Adam to be alone? Because, you see, being alone does not give him the ability to fulfill God's creative purpose as stated in Genesis 1.26. What does 1.26 say again? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God is a community of three. And can a single person by himself, ain't got nobody else to relate to, can a single person reflect community life? Can it happen? No, Adam is alone. There is no one else like him. And so this is the beginning, the initial stages, the first step of the accomplishment of God's purpose. And so he must do something more than just have a man here. There has to be someone else like Adam to be created to walk with Adam so the two together can function communally and in that context be images of the community of God. Do we see that? I'm going somewhere with this. I take my time. Because it's significant fundamentally. It is a profound significance for us in the church to understand what God is doing. Because this is our motive for everything in the church. And if we don't get this, we miss the motive. And it isn't that we won't live correctly, but it will be that we will live less joyful in ourselves knowing that we are accomplishing God's purpose, but we're going to miss a lot of opportunities because we're not seeing God's purpose here. So why is it not good for Adam to be alone? Because in order to image the community of God, it requires a community of people. So therefore, let's look at the rest of verse 18, Genesis 2, 18. And then I'm going to go to 21 and 22. I'm going to skip some areas. You see, we're not exegeting the entire chapter of of Genesis 2. So it's not good for Adam to be alone. So what? I'm going to make him a helper suitable or fit for him or complimentary. I don't mean complimentary, patting you on the back, but completing of him. So how is God going to 
create someone who's completing of Adam. He's going to put Adam to sleep, and from his side, rib is probably not the best translation, from his side, God is going to take something out of Adam's totality within himself as a being, but relationally deficient, and he's going to create someone else so that the two can be demonstrative of God's community. So verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs from his side and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God took had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And you remember what verse 24 says? What does it say? And for this reason, what? The man must leave his mom and them. You know what mom and them is, huh? He must leave his what? Mother and cleave to his wife. Why? Because the two shall become one. Okay, there's a foundation. So ladies, and men listen too, ladies. Why did a loving and wise father create you? He created you for the same reason he created the man. He created you in order that his creational purpose would be fulfilled. You see, I think what happens in the church is that if we're not careful at least among the women, I think this is more prone than among the men. You are going to feel, what's my place? What's my role? You may begin to feel second class. And that is not God's purpose, and it's not God's will and his intention for this to happen. You are created to fulfill God's purpose. And what is that role that God wants you to have? What is that most significant role that God wants you as a woman of God in the church to play? He created you to be a helper alongside of and with the man or the men, a helper. And what does being a helper suitable for him mean? Remember, I will make him a helper suitable or fit for him. You see, the Lord did not just create a woman for man because a guy has got to have a woman. No. He created a woman for man who would be a helper for the man. Very particular purpose, ladies. You were brought into the kingdom of God in order to fulfill a particular and specific and divinely created and anointed purpose. A great, glorious purpose. And that is to be a helper to the men in the church. Why? So that the glory of God may be clearly displayed to all creation. This is who you are. This is your function. 
Now, the word helper here is a relational term. It's a relational term. It's not a term of status, especially of lower or less status. The Hebrew word is mostly used in the Old Testament to refer, this word for helper in this verse is mostly used in the Old Testament to refer to God himself as the helper of his people. Psalm 54, 4, God is my helper. Now, who would accuse God of having a less significant role and a secondary role because he's helper? Who would of us, who would accuse him of that? And so you begin to see that your role as a helper has to do with functioning within the church as God functions for the church. Are you following me on this? Is this clear to you? I'm an old teacher. I need to know if you're getting it. Otherwise, we'll be here three days going through this. No, I got it, I got it, I got it. As God was Israel's helper, so also within the, within the normal human context, the ladies are given to the men as their helpers for the purpose of God. Now, don't go home and say to your husband or to your mama or whoever it is, I'm God, I'm your helper. No, obviously we don't mean that. What does it mean, suitable? It means able to re- render the help required or needed. Needed, you've been given not only <clears throat> the responsibility and the divine role of being a helper, but with that role, God has equipped every single one of you. If you're in Christ, you are equipped. God has equipped you to be suitable. What does that mean? With the spiritual, mental, emotional, whatever abilities that are needed to function correctly and effectively as God's helper. So don't think, yeah, but no, 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 no. You know, there are levels or ways or activities of this, obviously, that come and go and flow in the church. But this is what you need to see. Every one of you ladies who are saved, every one of you has been given by God and according to his wisdom and decision the necessary equipping and gifting to fulfill your particular role as helper. The gifting of the other lady may be different and it will be different. But it does not mean it is better. It does not mean it is superior and yours is inferior. It simply means that God in his graciousness has ordained that this is who Gina's going to be. And it's who Linda's going to be. It's who Renee's going to be. And on and on. And Renee should not look at Gina and say, oh, yeah, but Gina's the senior pastor's wife. What can I do? No. 
Renee looks at God and says, thank you for equipping and gifting me and may that be done in my life and would you give me recognition and ability to function in it according to knowledge. Amen? You see, there are all these little undercurrents. Aren't there, I mean, come on, aren't there undercurrents in us? Because I can't play the piano like Nancy Treby, I'm not, no. Nancy has a particular gifting. You ought to be glad I can't play the piano like Nancy. I would destroy that piano. Of course, I suppose if I did like you, Nancy, I wouldn't. Therefore, a helper suitable for him means this, that Adam, listen to my word. Adam, may we hear this clearly. Men, listen to me, and ladies, listen, make sure. What it means is, according, in order to be a helper suitable for him, God has ordained and created that Adam or men need the women to come alongside of him in order that his creative purpose be fulfilled. We need the women, and the women need the men. Do we get that? Because there are some characters in the church, maybe not in this church, but I would think so, because we have human beings in here. A couple of you may think you're not, but you are. And, and there's a thought, I don't need women. I don't need a woman. I don't need the female help. I don't need to say that, to think that, is to call God a liar. It's to call God a liar. Because God said it, so what? Any difference is what? You're calling him a liar. So what does this mean for you ladies? What does it mean? It means this, that the woman's role as helper is analogous compared to. Now, when I say this, this isn't a one-to-one relationship, but it's a general comparison, right? When anytime we use anything of God that we are analogous to, that means there is a general comparison here. You can't say it's a one-to-one relationship. There is a general analogy or a general comparison here that the woman's role is analogous to the role of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing God's purpose for the church. Now, how many of you know this? That apart from the role of the Holy Spirit, not only is God's purpose not fulfilled in a church, we don't have a church. How many of us would say, you know, really, the role of the Spirit is just kind of a, what? An add-on. Something I can take a leave. How many of you would go to God and say, you know, I don't really need your spirit that much. I can do it on my own. Anybody in here? Is the Holy Spirit necessary for the accomplishment of the building and the maturing and the keeping of the church? Is he necessary? Yes or no? Yes. Is he necessary for your and my sanctification and walking in purity and dealing with issues. Is he necessary? Yes or no? Yes. Well, remember, the woman's role is analogous. We're not saying, oh, as necessary. No. But in that general sense, therefore, we begin to see the necessity of the women in the church for the fulfillment of God's purpose. And I'm going to repeat that at the end, so don't think I... Just don't know what I'm doing. 
God has given us the Spirit. Listen to these verses. John 14, 16. Jesus is giving final instructions to the church before he goes to the cross. And he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That means we're going to be with one another forever. And we don't get along that well here. I was hoping that at least at the end of life, the issue would cease. But I'm going to have to see him or her now forever. And he's the helper to be with you forever. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance of all things bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now that doesn't again, this is not an equal psalm, this is an analogy. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, who is a spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You see, witnessing about the Lord Jesus needs both men and women walking together. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So you see, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And the woman's role is analogous to that, to that role of the Holy Spirit, to the church. So in the same way, the church needs the women to come alongside of the men. Why? So that together, the men and the women will image the community of God together. Now, what does this not mean? What does this not mean? And let's make sure we have this. And just a few thoughts here. I'm sure much, much more could be said. What it does not mean is that the woman's role is inferior to the role of the man. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this. Maybe you shouldn't. But how many of you women have had at least a thought or a feeling that you're not as important as the men or some of the men? Oh, I'm not as important as Peter Davidson because he's a pastor and he preaches. Who told you that? What page of Scripture is that on? That you should make me an idol Your role, whatever it is in the church, is significantly equal to mine, although mine is different from yours. It does not mean that the women of the church are the servants of the men. Hey, they're churches that some kind of way have gotten this wrong, and the women are there ostensibly to serve the needs of the men. You know what I'm talking about? There are churches like that. That the women are there for the pastor. The women are there for the elders. That's demonic. It's demonic. There's no such thing as the women are here to serve the men. The women are here with the men to serve God. You see, 
It not only doesn't mean this, it means actually the very opposite of these things. Being a helper means that both men and women have, would you write this in your notes? I don't know how many of you have taken notes, and you should, I suppose, but have equal standing and significance before God in his church. Can you get that? Equal. Why? Listen to Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, Neither is, neither is there a male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In other words, God does not recognize or deal with us or use us on the basis of these earthly distinctions and differences. He uses us on the basis of his eternal purpose in Christ. It has nothing to do with this world. Why is this equality so significant? Why is it so damning to think differently and to function differently? Why? Go back to Genesis 1.26. I've already given you the answer. Right, Carly? Because 1.26 says, let us make man in our image. And within the community of God, there exists three distinct divine persons, each one being absolutely forever equal to the other in every aspect. The only difference within the context of these divine persons is not in their nature, in their power, in attributes or substance. All of those are equally shared. There's only one difference to distinguish Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that difference? Roles, the function, is how we figure out who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. It's the role of the Father to take the lead and to, if you would, cast the vision. It's the role of the Son to implement that vision through the cross and the resurrection. And then it's the role of the Holy Spirit to take that vision which is purchased and made possible at the cross and the resurrection to become a reality in God's people, the church. Amen? That's the role. It doesn't mean that the Father goes to the cross. It isn't the Holy Spirit who is casting vision. Each one has a particular role and has always been this way. And the equality of the men and women in their status, in their significance, is essentially fundamental to demonstrating who God is in himself so that within this context of absolute and comprehensive equality, then we can function within our roles without disparaging and questioning and thinking this is better than I wish. You see what I'm talking about. It's essential. So, again, there is no such thing as a lesser position for the men. I'm sorry, women, and a greater position for the men. If you came in here thinking that this morning, repent of sin. See it God's way. 
This is not the world. You want to be a witness to the world of the glory of God? I've said this on several occasions to the couples that give me the privilege of sharing with them in preparation for marriage. So some of you will hear what I've said before. You've heard it before. I said, ladies, your purpose in your marriage is to obey and respect your husband. (gasps) Oh, my God. Why? Because, you see, that's reflective of the church's relationship to Christ. That's God's decision. And the husband is to lovingly lead the wife. (gasps) Why? Because that's Christ's role over the church. Should any of us deprecate that? Should we allow the filth and the sin of that world to come in here to change our attitudes at all? I think you better think it out again. So I tell them, girls, go back to your office or to your family members or to your friends or the neighborhood. Say, man, am I learning so much about God in this counseling. What? Kelly, what did you learn? I'm learning that my role as a wife is to submit to and respect my husband. Remember the bomb that went off in Hiroshima and killed 100,000 people in a split second? You want to have an opportunity and a door open for witnessing? Someone asked Jean years ago, Jean's my wife, what is your function in in the church? What do you do in the church? You know, pastor's wife, what do you do? Now, what what do you think the people were expecting to hear? She plays the piano, she teaches, she mops floors, she, whatever, you know? You remember what your response was? What was it? Her response was to serve my husband. Oh, what a demeaning task. <laughs> Is that all you're supposed to do? Oh, that's so nice. She has no more glory than that. Eileen, you have no more glory than that. You have no more glory than that. Than the glory of being God's servant with the men. It doesn't get better than that. Forget it, I did that twice. That wasn't part of the routine. God's design is that the roles of the men and the women should function in tandem unity in order to properly reveal the fellowship of love through the roles of the three persons of God. You see, the bottom line is it's all about, it's all for, and it's all from God. It's all about, it's all for, and it's all from God. You see, in his loving wisdom, God has designed, you see that? It's God. It's his fault. 
God has designed the men and women to image him through their personal lives and through the corporate relationships as together they worship and serve in in a partnership of love and respect through their respective roles. Romans 15, 5, Paul tells the church, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may be with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given the role of helper to the women to come alongside of the men to fulfill the ministry of the gospel in the same way that he has given the Holy Spirit to come alongside of the church enabling and encouraging us to walk in the gospel. So what is the result? It's a partnership of loving roles. Loving roles. Loving whom? Loving God through these roles. Loving God through these roles that accurately fulfills God's creative purpose of Genesis 1.26 that we are his image bearers. You see, ladies, you are the daughters. You're the little girls of the Most High. And you've been given the highest privilege with the men to complete the image of God as you function in your role as a helper with them and with us. Apart from your role, the image of God will not be displayed in the church to the way that God has created. You see, together, the men and the women had the great privilege, remember 1 Peter 2.10, of proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That happens, yes, as we are saved, and that is the beginning of turning on the light. My salvation, your salvation, is the beginning. That's when God puts the flame of the Holy Spirit onto the wick. Remember those old things that had the stack on them and the turning the wick? What are they called? Lanterns. Some of you know that. And they turn it and they put it and it burns. Our salvation is the Holy Spirit igniting that wick and there starts a little flame. And that flame is given to light and to illumine. And as we function together in our separate roles, God the Holy Spirit is turning up the flame so that more and more the brightness of his glory is being demonstrated. Do not be women, and men too, but especially the women today, who because of your whatever it is in you are not functioning to the full capacity of your role. And if you don't know what it is, go to God, ask, and he'll tell you. But function in your role Understanding what we've talked about and watch God be turning up the light of his glory. Let's look at a couple of examples of this. 
Now, these are not exhaustive examples, nor are they specific examples. Okay, Lakeview Christian Center, here are the 16 things that women can do, and here are the 14 things they can't do. So let's talk about some of the areas in which you are God's helper. And I'm just going to read a lot of scripture. You may want to take them down. <clears throat> they're not given in any particular direction. Oh, this is the most important second. They're just how I felt the Lord give them to me. What are some of your, what are some of the ways your role as a helper is to be manifested? How are you to walk this out? Well, number one, again, not number one meaning more than the important of the other, but the first one is your devotion to Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Your devotion to Jesus. And now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Her role of devotion. But Martha was distracted about much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone with all these pots and pans? But the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you know, you're anxious and you're troubled about a whole lot of stuff. But really only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Your devotion, your personal devotion to the Lord. What about prayer? Mark 7, 24. What about prayer? And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She was from Phoenicia. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. You know, the people of God, the Israelites rather. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered, yes, Lord. Listen to this woman's tenacity. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And oh, I can imagine Jesus saying, oh, I love it. Here is a woman of prayer who will not let me go. For this statement, you may go your way, and the demon has left your daughter. What is your role? Women of prayer. Serving. Serving. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had, been gone, out, had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cush, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own means. 
giving. Of course, you could take the other one as giving. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, a couple of pennies. What's that? And he said, oh, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of these other rich folks. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. God notices these things. Teaching. Teaching. Titus chapter 2. Verse 2. Well, let's start with one. Paul's instructing Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. The older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the world may, the word of God may not be reviled. You see how contrary to the world this is? Don't let the world come in here and steal from us what God is doing. Don't let the world steal your attitude and your understanding and your function. I don't care what the world says or does. I don't care. I just care what God says and does. Because this goes into heaven. The other burns forever. Faithfulness. Mark 14, 1 through 9. Faithfulness. Well, let's start at verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of oil, ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why has this ointment been wasted? For this ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii, and think all these poor folks could be helped. And they scoffed at her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She's faithful. She's a faithful woman to the things of God. Bravery. How many of us think the men are the ones who are brave and the women's are not? The women's are not, okay? Okay, the women's are not. Let's go with that. Look at Mark 16. Remember the crucifixion? Jesus is dead and buried. Now the men are cowering in the corner. And here come these Little old simpleton women. 
And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint, remember, the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Why is that so brave? Because they knew that the officials were looking and there were Roman soldiers there and all of this and they could have been arrested and even maybe put to death. But yet they said, we are going to overcome our natural fear and we're going to do what the Lord has called us to do and we're going to be the women of God. Amen. They were brave. Remember, they went back and told the men, and then they began to figure, well, maybe it's okay for us to go. You see, I believe the Lord has shared this this morning. Not because as the ladies of the church, you are not functioning this way, but because you are. Now, if you're here and you've not functioned in your role, be instructed, but this is not a presentation to scold you. It's a presentation to say, look what you're doing. And as Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, I want you to excel even more and more. He says, you're doing well. Remember in Thessalonians 4, he said, you're doing all of this, you're doing this, you're doing that. He said, this is wonderful, you're doing it. I just want you to excel. That's what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning and saying to me and to the men. These things are happening in this church. But let us see them within the context of the motive and the purpose of God in a greater and grander way. And let us overcome by knowledge and trusting of God the issues that Satan and our flesh and the world would put in our way to be stumbling and not doing what God has called us to do through our roles. And let us unite men and women together so that in cooperating and walking and working together in our roles of love, God's glory and his image is being clearly and consistently and compellingly demonstrated in this church to the world. You see, you're the handmaidens of the Lord. You're co-workers with the men by the Spirit for the glory of God. So I'll say this is what I said a few moments ago. Ladies, you are as necessary to the fulfilled function of the church as the Holy Spirit is to our full function as believers in Jesus Christ. So I say this as one of the pastors here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, and let us continue and do likewise in a greater way. You may stand if you want.